This is a spoiler warning. Gleamin' Radio's Return to the Wheel of Time is a reread podcast. Which means, if you have yet to get through the whole series, you should probably turn back now. Because, without a doubt, as the Gleeman discusses whatever the hell happens in this chapter, he'll most likely reference how characters' thoughts and interactions in the now might affect things three, five, seven, or even ten books down the line. And trust me, you do not want to be spoiled. The Wheel of Time is a fantastic read, and you really don't want it to be ruined for you. Trust me, I know. The Gleeman was recently spoiled on something for another series, and he will not shut up about it. And honestly, you really don't want to be like him right now, moping about just because two of the characters he liked the most... You know what? No, I'm not getting into that. Moving on. Now, normally, I'd recap the last episode. You know, tell you what transpired in the last chapter from my own point of view, not simply regurgitate the Gleeman's opinions. But, uh, I mean, Return to the Wheel of Time podcast, right? That name hasn't been so on the mark since the prologue episode when that light-blinded Gleeman first started this damn thing. It's been, what, almost 14 months since the last release? The Dark Lord, take me. What am I supposed to recap? I don't even remember where we are in this series. Oh, I know. I know. Last time on Gleeman Radio, I kept trying to get this damn podcast restarted, but no. The Gleeman was otherwise occupied. First, he had family moving in and out, a little too noisy to be and busy to record. Sure, makes sense. And then the family got ill, passing their disgusting germs to one another during the move. Again, understandable, I suppose. It's hard to concentrate on notes and record a podcast when you're constantly being called by needy, sick people. So I let it go. And then, he had a trip across multiple states for a little family get-together. Getting annoying, but sure. He had made the plans months in advance, so fine. Just fine. It's not like the Great Lord of the Dark was getting a little displeased with me for not getting things done. Oh, no. And then, he pretty much ran out of excuses. Yeah? Yeah, he did. You know, I'll get to it. I haven't given up on it. But then weeks passed. And then months passed. And his lady, lazy, light-forsaken butt never picked up the damn podcast again until now. And you know what happened the moment we started talking about bringing it back? We started arguing, of course. You know, I still can't... Believe the nerve of nerve of him either. I'm so frustrated I can't even speak right. He was so bloody embarrassed about his ridiculous hiatus 
that he tried coming up excuses that gave me the blame. Oh, I don't know. How about my car broke down on the road and I called you for help, but you wouldn't use a gateway because you're selfish. Calling me selfish when this is a lie he's trying to make up for you, his listeners. Really? Again, the nerve of him. So he's like, well, you wouldn't use a gateway, and you thought a portal stone would be more fun, cause you're crazy, and we ended up getting stuck in limbo for months and months and months pitiful. I had to put my foot down and tell the Gleeman to own up to his own mistakes. I may be evil, I may be mad, but at the very least, I won't be blamed for wrongdoings that aren't of my own doing. I got more pride than that. He wasn't happy though. No. Personally, I used to think he was bummed out because I ruined his whole portal stone joke, where he acts like he just got back, and then he records the podcast and then picks up his phone to see, you know, what did he miss? Over all the time is gone, and this final jokey line was gonna be, Guys, what's COVID 19? <sighs> actually, it's not a bad joke, really. You know, he actually asked me if m- myself or any of the other Forsaken were behind it, and you know, I told him it could have been Aganor or Semirock, but Aganor wouldn't let things get out of hand, he's too professional for that. And Semirog would have been black bragging about all the new toys she gets to play with, and her appetite for pain as she heals them. You, you can't see my quotation marks, but I am totally making them. Oh, but whatever. That's all there is to it. I've had enough of the Gleeman for this week, and apparently there still won't be a Balsamon Q&A today, because there's not enough questions for me. Fantastic. So there's really no point in me sticking around, alright? You'll see me next episode, I suppose. Get on it, people. Seriously. You know, you can go to Twitter and ask me questions, you can go to Reddit and ask me questions, or you can send in questions at gleemanradio at gmail.com. Get to it. I am tired of being ignored. Ma'alzaman, out. Here's the clip of the day. Lan spared him one glance and snorted. Militia. Useless. The soldier looked over the room, letting his eyes come to rest on them. He hesitated, then took a deep breath before stomping over to demand, all in a rush, who they were, what their business was in Whitebridge, and how long they intended to stay. We are leaving as soon as I finish my ale, Lan said. He took another slow swallow before looking up at the soldier. The light illumined good Queen Morgay's. The red-uniformed man opened his mouth, then took a good look at Lan's eyes and stepped back. He caught himself immediately with a glance at Moiraine and her. She thought for a moment that he was going to do something foolish to keep from looking the coward in front of two women. In her experience, men were often idiots that way. But too much had happened in Whitebridge. Too much uncertainty had escaped from the cellars of men's minds. The militia man looked back at Lan and reconsidered once more. Warder's hard-blamed face was expressionless, but there were those cold blue eyes. 
so cold. All and welcome back to Gleeman Radio. I'm your host, Gleeman Tom, and burn me, it's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> oh my god, I am so, so sorry about that. Uh, but, uh, but Osman really let me have it, I suppose, didn't he? <laughs> I did deserve it. But, uh, <laughs> I hope we can leave all this behind us and just have some fun. But, uh, wow, it's just good to be back, good to be recording. I'm a little scared, though, because I haven't done this in a while. So I'm worried I'm going to stumble over the words again. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I am sorry about the excuse. You know, the potentially lying to all you wonderful listeners out there. But in my defense, I want you to think about this. I was on my way back. I was supposed to restart this podcast in November 15th of 2019. Can you believe that? Um, But uh, just imagine this. I would be heading back from Portland, Oregon. (laughs) Think about what's going on there right now. And... uh, (laughs) On the drive back to Eastern Colorado, it was going to be my car broke down and I'm too poor to do anything about it at the moment, seeing as, you know, uh, I'm a caregiver for an elderly family member and I do this. That's that, that's that's really all I got. So I was going to call Baalzaman for help and he was going to decide gateways were boring, so we'll take a portal stone. But then I was going to be stuck in the portal stone with all the flicker, flicker, flicker. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about? And I was going to relive my life over and over again in different ways and realize that the best life I could ever live is doing this podcast for all of you. And I was going to come back and I'd already taken my notes and I was going to sit down and I was going to record. Then I was going to be like, all right, time to catch up on the anime and TV shows and music and all this wonderful stuff I've missed. I'm, I'm pissed I missed months and months and months, but I'm going to have a lot to binge now and that's going to be pretty cool. And I, uh, uh, guys, what's COVID? What, what, couldn't you imagine time skipping from November 2019 to any time in the recent months of 2020 and trying to figure shit out? I thought it was funny, but, uh, in the end, Balsamon was completely correct and I was a selfish prick. So I just needed to own up to my own mistakes. I am a loser and I'm sorry. At this point, it's almost 9 p.m. when I'm recording this. And a week ago, I was like, I'm going to release this on Wednesday, October 28th. And I almost didn't make it because, like, I ate dinner, I finished everything up, and then I almost fell asleep. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, podcast. <laughs> I almost failed you yet again. Yet again. It was... <laughs> uh, speaking of Baalzaman, I get why he had to give me a hard time with his flaming recap. Where he was just totally ribbing on me. It's fine. It's fine. He's gone now, thank the light. Uh, we don't interact too well. Maybe if you guys want more of us together, we'll do it. But it's, you know, we'd only do it for you. It's sometimes better just to have him open and close the podcast and sometimes run in on me on certain moments. You know, like maybe when Balzaman is in the chapter, he might spend more time here. But other than that, unless you guys really want it, 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 it's kind of a lot of extra work 
to have us here together. It's it, it, it gets tense, but whatever. So, but he could have at least told you where we were in the series. He's totally lying about not remembering because we discussed it just the other day and I turned back the page in my novel and it was easy to see just from the very last line in the chapter exactly, exactly where we were because it was that uh, one of the best interactions in the series between Perrin and Gwen because, you know, they don't have a lot of time together in the show. So it's where Egwene told Perrin that, like, Isla was giving her some advice on being a woman. And Perrin just laughed, saying, no one gives them advice on being, uh, gives us advice on being men. We just are. Prompting the innkeeper's daughter to dig into him by saying, well, that's probably why you're so bad at it. It's amazing and wonderful how one simple line can make you laugh and transport you back into the past so easily. Uh, I'd like to go on and on about it, but uh, <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm pretty sure I discussed this line in length in the last episode. I don't know for sure, because when I went back to re-listen to some of my podcasts, I only got through chapter uh, 26, Whitebridge. That thing was an hour and a half long, and my God, like for all of you who enjoy my podcast, I, I, I'm not, <laughs> I had some editing problems when I was trying to do the daggers, um, inner monologue in their heads where it was messing with their heads. And there were some editing problems there that kind of made me flinch. And not to mention my noise, my, my voice is kind of annoying, at least to my ears. I don't know what you guys think, but I'm like, Ooh, I do not want to keep listening to this guy. <laughs> so... To all of you who enjoy my podcast, you earn uh, so much G, uh, as well as deserve a medal, for listening to me ramble on over and over and over and over. I just never stop talking. So good for you people. Like, really, I'm I, I just amazed that I actually got so much... Um, positive attention for the podcast and it also makes me ashamed that I let it you know spend so much time on the shelf so uh, I think I'm rambling again you know on and on and on so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up and we're gonna get into the chapter which luckily is a naive chapter hell yeah honestly this seems like the perfect chapter to come back on. We've got Nynaeve, who I just adore. If she was an anime character, she'd be on the waifu list. Uh, to any of you out there who listen to, who watch a lot of anime, I think you'd understand what I mean. Uh, Nynaeve is amazing. I love her. Uh, we're heading into Whitebridge with Moraine and Lan, looking for the boys, and uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, there's, there's not a, it's not a really hefty chapter here. But there's some fun character moments and insights, so I'm pretty ex excited to get into it. And I'm happy it's not too dense for my first uh, episode back, you know what I mean? So, without further ado, time to discuss Chapter 28, The Eye of the World. Uh, oh, what? So, 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 so my notes just say Chapter 28, The Eye of the World. When really it should be Chapter 28... Footprints in air. Wow, like my notes are already messing up. I haven't done this in a while, guys. 
Okay? Don't give me a hard time. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Do give me a hard time because I need that kick in the ass. Um, blood and ashes. I'm excited. Let's do this. Uh, our chapter begins with Nynaeve trying not to stare openly and in awe of the fabled Whitebridge. Uh, seeing how Lan and Moraine are paying it no real mind. Like it's an everyday occurrence that's just not a big deal. The poor girl is afraid she'd be laughed at or kind of, you know, mocked a little bit for being a country girl if she showed too much open interest. Which is sad, really. She she has the right to be excited about stuff, doesn't she? I mean, I don't think Lan would tease her at all, but I'm not as sure as about Moraine, okay? She might take this opportunity to um, get a little bit of gentle teasing in order to let go a little bit of the stress of traveling with Nynaeve and none of the other Emmonsfielders. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I don't know. Moraine might, Moraine might dig in her a little bit. Um, but as we know, even a little bit of gentle teasing of the wisdom would not go over super well, you know? So to stop herself from staring and to take her mind off her supposed ignorance of the strangeness of the world, that's not her fault. Uh, Nynaeve instead reminisces a bit about her travels so far after meeting up with the Aes Sedai, the warder, after escaping from Shadar Logoth, where they met up on the, what was it, the Ardell? Yeah, I think so. So she thinks about how there's been little in the way of real conversation with the three, no matter what she tried, just a little bit of nagging of Moraine about the wisdom, going for training in Tarvalin, something she doesn't like or want to think about because, you know, she doesn't really like the power right now, which isn't very surprising considering her background. The majority of Emmons Fielders really don't seem to take too well that Moraine was an Aes Sedai, you know what I mean? Uh, now, I'm not saying that the Two Rivers folk are necessarily prejudiced. I just say that they're more of a practical, down-to-earth people who want simple lives, and the one power is anything but simple. Not only that, who knows how long it's been since a woman be able uh, came to the two rivers, able to wield the one power, and you know consciously, you know, when did that last happen? It had to be at least several generations ago, several Isidai generations. You know what I mean? Considering how surprised they all get and how strong the Manethrin blood still flows there. So uh, yeah, I'd just say that the Two Rivers folk don't really have a lot of experience anymore with Aes Sedai to know fact from fiction, so they're just really ignorant about it, and they don't, they don't know how to deal with it. And because of that, that's been ingrained, ingrained excuse me, into Nynaeve. However, as hard as she tries to resist it, Nynaeve's, like, wisdom instincts, you know, the instincts of a healer, just cannot help but make her think about what she herself could do with access to the one power, you know? How many people she could potentially save that she wouldn't have been able to before, not having to rely on limited herbs 
or salves or whatever. We all know how regretful and kind of sorry she felt towards Rand back uh, back right after Winter Night when she couldn't heal Tam and she told him that she couldn't do it. And she was really kind of regretful about it. However, Moraine was able to do what she had deemed an impossible. And so she can't help but think about, like, you know, maybe with that power, I could do some pretty great stuff and help a lot of people. But whenever her thoughts strayed towards the power, she would, you know, because she's naive, <laughs> stubbornly stamp it down, calling the power a filthy thing in her ignorance and clinging to the thought that if Moraine had brought Egwene and her boys to any harm, oh, she would learn the one power. Oh, she would. She would go to Tarvalin too. If she had to, if she had no other choice, she would learn and she would use that power on Moraine. <laughs> That's never going to go away. So, like, if anybody was reading that for the first time and being like, oh, man, I really wish Nynaeve would let go of this grudge on Moraine. <laughs> <coughs> oh, my gosh, excuse me. Oh, that doesn't sound good on the podcast, and I don't really have a lot of time for editing. Oh, no. Yeah, that, that, that grudge is not going away anytime soon. Uh, now I coughed on the podcast. God damn it. I can't let it go. It's in my head, and I know I don't have time to go back and edit it if I want this to be out on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, Nynaeve would go on remembering her attempts to get answers from the Aes Sedai on how she planned on finding the boys. Something I am quite sure Moraine has told her before. She's going to track the coins. She's like, you know, she can feel them. Even if the boys lost the coins, if she gets close enough, she knows, blah, blah, blah. We know this. Nynaeve knows this. But she's just trying to get some control by asking these questions again. Uh, and then she also asks what Moraine plans to do when she finds them, which we know she has answered already. We know Nynaeve has been told this before because this is what they talked about the moment they left. This is what they talked about when they left, um, oh god, it's been a while. Where's the place where Nynaeve caught up with them? Berlon in the Mer in the Merdral. Yeah, they're going to Tarvalin. It's been a whole thing. Nynaeve knows this already. Uh, and the, the problem is, is the wisdom simply doesn't want to hear the answer Tarvalin again, because that's Moraine's answer to everything. Where are you taking Egwene? Tarvalin. Where are you taking the boys? Tarvalin. What's our next move? Tarvalin. And since, you know, Nynaeve doesn't want anything to do with the power, it just, it irks her. She, she doesn't, she doesn't know what to do. She's already confused about what the power's doing to her or her connection to it or Egwene's connection to it or potentially one of the three boys' content, uh, connection to it because, as we know, most likely Rand because she knows Rand wasn't born in the Two Rivers. You know, there's only one thing that I said I really want out of men, you know, that they start chasing them down like this. And I don't think she wants to make them a warder. So, of course, Nynaeve is concerned. I'm rambling again, and I'm not even on my notes anymore. I just started, I just started blabbing. Uh, I had a few shots of uh, alcohol before I did this. Oopsie. 
Moraine, however, is absolutely amazing here. She's calm, she's serene and unflappable, just as nice as I should be. She is not letting Nynaeve get to her, and it's just it's just wonderful, you know? I want you to sit here and I want you to think for a minute. My, free, my dear, wonderful listeners, I want you to imagine some of the chapters that take place in Tarvalin as you're dealing with the Aes Sedai. And I want you to think about how frustrated you and I... Oh, I did it again! I did it again! <laughs> oh, I'm jumping ahead in my notes. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, I, you know what? I'm just going to keep going. I don't even care. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> what I was going to say is that Moraine was a standard for what Aes Sedai was supposed to be. But what was in my notes is imagine how frustrated you and I would be, dear listeners, if someone kept as asking you the same questions over and over again, and you had to answer the same questions over and over again to someone who clearly knew what your answers would be, but just didn't like what they were. And it just brings a bit of a comfort knowing that no matter how annoying, uh, you know, some of the ice that I get in the future, that's what I was getting at when I was rambling, you know, go to the future, think several books ahead when you're in the White Tower and dealing with all the ridiculously annoying Aes Sedai po uh, politics, just to sit back here in the eye of the world and know how absolutely wonderful Moraine is, the clear standard of what an Aes Sedai should be. But uh, <laughs> I keep messing up. It's my first time recording in a year, okay? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to pause the recording for a minute so I can get my bearings back. I am so sorry, folks. All right, so I am back. I went out, had some shitty tabak, probably from Tar and Fairy. Had another shot of booze because that's doing great for me right now. It's definitely not going to cause a problem. And uh, what else was it? Tarvalin is the answer to everything. Nynaeve doesn't like it. Moraine is the standard bear for what Aes Sedai should be. Uh, probably also Varen Mathwin, Swan Sanche, and Cadswain. Uh, kiss my ass if you don't like Cadswain. I love Cadswain. That has nothing to do with this chapter, but I, I felt I just need you to hate me for something right now, right? I mean... <laughs> I have a thing for bitchy female characters, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I hope that doesn't come across as derogatory in any way. It's just, that's what I like in female characters. Uh, good people with a little bit too much attitude. But let's get back to the chapter notes, because honestly, I, I really should probably do that. Uh, so none of this matters to Nynaeve, though. She's unsatisfied by Moraine's responses of, you know... <clears throat> Tarvalin. Uh, I also love how my notes say by Moraine's responses, and it's spelled B-U-Y instead of B-Y because I'm a genius, you know. Uh, and she just, she, she's just getting more and more frustrated because she needs a bit of control in her life. She was a big deal back in Emmonsfield, you know what I mean? And now she's not being given any answers, at least not any an answers she finds satisfying, and it's frustrating her. And this reminds me of a quote 
from season one of Angel. I believe it is episode six, Sense and Sensibility. I bring this up because I love the Buffyverse and I need to talk about it in everything. So I'm sorry. Uh, there is a character that brings up that deep down anger is just fear. And Nynaeve is afraid. Afraid of a world she doesn't understand because she's never left her little village. Afraid for Egwene and the boys because of all the shit that's been happening. Winter Night, Trollocs, Merdral, the Aes Sedai, the One Power. It's just, it's a lot. And the only character she really has to take out this frustration and fear out on is the Aes Sedai. However... Having Moraine deal with her so deftly and calmly isn't something she really knows how to deal with. It makes her blood boil as she describes Moraine as a clear pond that wouldn't make a ripple no matter how many stones she tossed in. And I love that analogy. It is very entertaining <laughs> and probably very accurate. Uh, you know, Moraine's got that unflappable thing down. Like I said, standard bearer of the Aes Sedai, and it's great. Um, <laughs> Nynaeve also thinks, uh, I love this scene, I really love this scene, that Nynaeve thinks that the Aes Sedai must feel her gaze, her intense, angry gaze, boring into the back of the Aes Sedai. She has to feel it because she's staring so damn hard. But the Aes Sedai just run on, ride along unperturbed like it's not even happening. And I, it, it, it makes me laugh every time I've ever read that scene. But recently, uh, in the last like maybe two times I've read this scene, it reminds me of SAO Abridged, which I'm sure none of you really know about. And if you do, you're awesome. Uh, it has nothing to do with Wheel of Time. I keep bringing up other series, but, you know, whatever. There's more in my life than the Wheel of Time, okay? Wheel of Time might be my favorite fantasy book series, but I like other stuff. And there's a scene where one of the female characters, again, this is a bridge series, so they took the show and made a comedy version of it. And uh, she's paralyzed, and she's asking the bad guy why he did it to her, too. And she's like, really? Really? You, you you ask why I do this to you? Like, I have no guarantee that you're not even going to try to set me on fire with her mind. With your mind. And she just goes, stare, which is fantastic. You know what? I think I'm going to actually get a clip of it. Because that's just, that's what I think of now. When I hear Nynaeve glaring into the back of the Aes Sedai so strongly that she has to feel it. And it just, again, it makes me laugh. I love it. Okay? I just love it. Now, what was even better uh, than the stare moment was how when Nynaeve lost her temper at the repeated mentions of, you know, <clears throat> Tarvalin, Moraine replied with a part of your training, you will, part of the training you will receive in Tarvalin wisdom will be to control your temper. You can do nothing with the one power when emotions rule your mind. Which was just brilliant. Um, <laughs> a snap from Moraine, right? And it left poor Nynaeve speechless and just feeling kind of bad about herself. Which, you know, isn't what we want. But, like, it was a really good comeback for Moraine. And just the whole thing left the wisdom with a sullen glower on her face. A sullen glower that she absolutely hated every time she realized she was wearing it, you know? Uh, it made her feel like she'd been caught being a fool 
by the women's circle back home, a feeling that she was not used to. You know, which is probably true. When it came to Emmons Field, Nynaeve was top tier in the women's circle back home. You know, having Moraine around acting so dignified and calm and cool and intelligent probably made her feel a little bit inferior. You know, less like a grown, capable woman, which she is, and more like an arrogant, ignorant little girl, which, to be fair, compared to Moraine... She also was, you know, so she had a lot of growing to do. I, I feel bad talking but down to Nynaeve at this point. You know, she has her problems, especially later in the series, while she's forcing herself to be angry so she can channel. But right here and after her block is gone, you know, we kind of get the more pure, more pure Nynaeve, you know what I mean? And right now it's more of a pure Nynaeve that I really like. So I feel bad talking down to her a little bit. But, you know, compared to Moraine right now, Nynaeve's a little girl. So no matter how much she, you know, she is a grown woman. She is a very responsible young woman. She is a very uh, intelligent young woman. Compared to Moraine, she's kind of a little girl still. And it, yeah. um, However, as much as she fought with the Aes Sedai about the one power, Egwene and the boys, and of course being kept in the dark on her plans, there was also another reason for Nynaeve's agitation towards the older woman, which she wasn't quite ready to face yet. No, she wasn't. It was a slight, just, just slight itty-bitty, little tiny bit of jealousy uh, over a large stone-faced warder. Uh, <laughs> Nynaeve sometimes found herself wondering if there was any possible way to, you know, I'll, I'll get rid of Moraine, you know, because cause Land would totally be better off by himself. I mean, a warder should totally be able to handle what's needed of him, of course. Uh, just, just, just him and Nynaeve going off to save the boys. Uh, no other reason, of course. It's just, just because Land is capable. No other reason at all. And her floundering in her own head as she blushed and backtracked on why she wanted land free of Moraine was just, it was really kind of cute. And it had me smiling a lot as I read the scene and listened to the scene in the audible version. I, I just, I just really enjoyed it. Nynaeve's crush on land is cute. Okay. It really is. Of course, Nynaeve would go on to think about how land probably infuriated her Almost as much as Moraine did, but not just just not for the same reasons, you know. He often scouted ahead and behind, so he wasn't always with them, you know. He barely said a dozen words in a day, because when Land spoke, you listened, right? So if he overused that voice, his words wouldn't have as much impact. Because when Land talks, we all shut up and listen. That's what we do. Um, he barely says a dozen or dozen words in a day, at least to her. And when he did travel alongside them, he kept to one side, you know, watching the interactions between the Aes Sedai and the Wisdom as if he was watching a duel, which <laughs> Nynaeve didn't exactly enjoy because if she really was in a duel with Moraine, uh, the poor girl had yet to score a single point on the older woman. And uh, she didn't like, you know, being so shot down in front of the hulking warder. You know, no reason, 
She just found it embarrassing. There, there was no reason she wanted to look super good for Lan. Okay, let's be clear. <laughs> and what was worse, according to her, is that Moraine didn't even seem to realize she was in a fight. Which is funny, because even a year after I first reread this chapter, for my notes, back in September of 2019... And now it makes me think of the same analogy from one of my favorite sitcoms, Scrubs. Okay, guys, the SAO thing was like spur of the moment when I brought it up. The angel thing was in my notes, but the Scrubs thing is in my notes too, okay? So I guess we're going to go on another tangent about another series. <laughs> uh, Scrubs is a metal medical sitcom which had two characters that quarreled for several episodes. One was Carla, you know, a healer, the head nurse, you know, someone that liked to be relied on. And the other was Dr. Molly Clock, who was the department psychologist at the time. You see, much like Nynaeve, Carla liked to be the person everybody, like, like she wanted them all, all, all of the people to come to her with their problems. She likes to be the person to hand out advice and aid to all her close friends. But Molly became more familiar with the gang as she started hanging out more and more and getting more involved in their personal lives. And she began handing out advice, advice which was quite helpful considering she was, as I said, a psychologist. And at one point she even walked up to Carla and said, according to a study she had read, uh, some of the most fascinating social interactions with people was when one of the party didn't even realize they were in a fight. To which Carla smiled and nodded, you know, with a fixed grin and a, I'd like to kind of cut you look on, your fa on her face. Uh, and the only difference here is that Moraine's above the petty fighting, you know, having way too many other important things to occupy her mind and her energy. While Molly Clock was just kind of this sweet person who was kind of just blind to Carla's feud because really it, it, it was nothing. Now, now that I think about it, this tangent doesn't really matter too much. <laughs> I'm so sorry for getting into it. Another tangent about another series. I just find it amusing that this was the first thing to come to mind on multiple read-throughs of this series as I read about Nynaeve's frustration. It was what I came to mind this time, it was what came to mind a year ago, and it was what came to mind even the last time I'd read it, because I first saw the Scrubs episode in question years and years and years ago. It comes up every time I think about this moment, and that's why I wanted to discuss it, even though it really doesn't matter and I probably just wasted your time. <laughs> I just, I find it amusing this is what comes to mind. So, yeah. I, I, I guess just the biggest difference uh, it, between the two is that Carla and Molly Clock were fine after a few episodes, while uh, Nynaeve never truly let go of her grudge with the Blue Sister, you know? Even though she had thought that she died saving Rand, Egwene and Avienda from Landfear. No, she still couldn't let that go. Uh, Carla is stubborn, but she got nothing on Nynaeve. 
And uh, wow, that went on longer than it needed to. Let's just let's just get back to the plot, shall we? I'm so sorry. Oh wow, I'm sorry. This is taking a while, isn't it, people? <laughs> you know, I think I'm about halfway through my notes. I'm on full screen right now, so I can't really tell. Oh, oh yeah, I'm on page ten out of eighteen. Uh, we're we're about forty, almost forty minutes. Oh, yep, we're forty minutes into the podcast. Uh, the chapter was nine pages, and the audiobook was nineteen minutes. And we're 40 minutes in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, welcome back, people. Gleeman Radio is here. And apparently we ramble never-ending. It's just what we do. Yeah, I hope you enjoy. <laughs> Next, we get Nynaeve's thoughts on the seeming stillness and quiet of the world. For some reason, this is a little bit hard for me to under like explain and discuss in the podcast. Um... Basically, it feels to Nynaeve almost as if the world itself is holding its breath, you know? It makes the wisdom nervous, but what made it even worse was that she could tell that the water and the ice and I felt it too, which meant it wasn't simply in her imagination, and that kind of terrified her more. You know, Moraine would often stop and listen to things that weren't there with a grim look on her face. And Nynaeve would almost be tempted to listen to the wind as well, because that just seems like what Moraine was doing. Uh, and then, you know, Nynaeve would shut it down, because after learning that listening to the wind had to do with the one power, she couldn't bring herself to do it anymore. She, you know, she was tempted, but no, no, nothing to do with the power. You know, besides, she wasn't exactly sure she wanted to hear what the wind might have to say. She was, she was, she was nervous enough as it was. You know what I mean? So she asked Lan, you know, what he thought it was. And at first he said it was nothing. You know, I find it interesting that she asked Lan, even though she's nervous and scared. So she's like, Lan, what, what's the problem? You know, <clears throat> no reason at all, right? No reason that she's seeking comfort from the big guy. Well, mm -mm. but then, you know, at first he said it was nothing, but then, like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to keep get messing up, I suppose. He told her that she should probably turn back home once they reached Whitebridge and the Camelot Road, because the path ahead was far too dangerous for her and that nothing would stop her from turning back now. Huh. Is it just me? Or does it sound like Lan is potentially worried about Nynaeve? Um, you know, Nynaeve herself says it's the most he'd spoken in the whole day. You know, uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, like, he's just like, you should go back. It's dangerous. But Lan is big, scary, awesome warder that can, you know, fight anything. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting, right? Like, maybe it's not one-sided, huh, Nynaeve? That's good. I don't know why I'm I, I'm making these jokes, because we all know what's going to happen. I just have, I'm just having fun. However, before, you know, Nynaeve and Lan can share their fears with each other, Moraine breaks in chiding Lan that, you know, she can't go home because, you know, she's part of the pattern now. So, so yeah, Moraine's like, no. And uh, she goes on to tell Nynaeve that what they feel is most likely the Dark One watching the world. Nothing to worry about. Like, nothing you can do about it, right? Like, <laughs> it's a truly scary thought. 
And, uh, you know, we have Moraine, like, reaching in the air, like, she's feeling the air and then being kind of disgusted and wiping it on the, on the side of her dress, you know, which, you know, doesn't do good things for her dress, but I guess it's a metaphorical grossness. Uh, I don't know. But, yeah, Dark One watching you, not, you know, watching the world, scary thought. And Nynaeve definitely doesn't want to think about it. So, going on. At first, Lan had been the one to lead them forward through the wilderness, but the closer they got to Whitebridge, Moraine began taking the lead, picking her path forward confidently like she's following Footprints in Air. <laughs> we got the title drop. That doesn't always happen in the chapters, so it's fun when it does. Lan only started scouting ahead the path that the Aes Sedai chose to make sure it was safe. But Nynaeve suspected that if Lan told her the path wasn't safe, Moraine would head on anyways, which is, you know, an encouraging thought. Like, I, I, like, if she's worried, she should have just gone home like, you know, Lan told her to. Uh, cat, stop smacking my door. Okay, I'm trying to do stuff. This podcast is taking a long time as it is, way longer than it should for nine pages. Uh, I guess we're just back to the wheel of time, you know what I mean? Everything takes longer with this series, but that's not always a bad thing, is it, people? No, it is not. Uh, and finally, we've left the wisdoms reminiscing behind. It's finally over, and the story returns to present day as the party finally makes their way onto the White Bridge itself. That is right, the majority of this chapter takes place reminiscing. So we're finally here. We're finally the White Bridge. You know, we're mustaches. Oh, I can't even talk about it. We're just going to have to go on. Uh, Nynaeve says that the bridge looks like white lace, uh, which doesn't sound great to me. I've always thought, like, lacy doilies looked dumb. Uh, doesn't, the white bridge sounds a lot less impressive like that. Uh, but, so, uh, to her, the bridge looked impossibly delicate. Too delicate to stand, you know, holding its own weight, let alone hold the weight of all of them and their horses. But Lan and Moraine moved on to the bridge without hesitation, and Nynaeve had no choice but to follow unless she kind of wanted to look like a coward. And she is not going to look like a coward in front of Moraine and Lan. Especially Moraine. Not going to happen. And it wasn't until they had almost made it to the other side of the bridge that Nynaeve smelled the smoke and the char of burned buildings. Which is something she probably had no desire to smell again so soon after winter night. You know, probably brought back some bad memories and probably made her even more nervous, you know. Uh, so it appeared that half a dozen buildings had burned down recently, you know. And uh, shaken townsfolk and soldiers in red hurried through the town with taut nerves and everybody seemed to be glancing over their shoulders as if half convinced the danger or whatever it was might not truly be gone. Like everybody was nervous. Uh, Lan sniffed the air and growled, looking especially grim, uh, even for him. And Nynaeve mistakenly believes like, well, yeah, like it smells like really strong smoke. Of course he's not happy, but we all know differently. 
You know, we all know that Lansense, that horrible bastard Thade who permanently hurt and disfigured the great Tom Marilyn, you know, gave him that, that limp that made him never be able to do backflips again. You know, I hope Lan kills him someday. Lan or Matt or Rand, you know, or Perrin or somebody. I want him dead, okay? If he's still a fade, just alive, you know, it, I can't I can't go into it. I, I know we'll never know for sure if he got destroyed, but I want him dead. <sighs> yeah. So Lan sniffed the air and growled, townsfolk, uh, da da da. Yeah, we all know differently. While Moraine hopped off her horse and approached the townsfolk when she was in the town. And she didn't ask questions. She only offered sympathy because Moraine is wonderful. She may be calculating, but she still has a heart, guys. She has a heart. Uh, so she offered sympathy. And to Nynaeve's absolute shock, she believed it to be genuine. She believed Moraine really did, like, care. And, uh, of course she does. She can't offer her sympathies without really meaning it, right? Like, that's part of the oath. Um, but yeah, Maureen's a kind person. So, frightened townsfolk that had been ready to run from Lan, uh, stopped and spoke with her, with Moraine, despite their surprise at what they were doing. Uh, I suppose Moraine was so beautiful and, and with, had such a commanding presence and such soft and kind words which was able to make them talk through their fear and hesitation. Yeah, hesitation sounds good. But they still lied, though. <laughs> like, yeah, they totally still lied. Some claimed, you know, nothing happened. Everything's fine. You know, uh, with cheery bravado, like, yeah, everything's good, man. As their eyes, like, flinched away from they didn't want to see. And, like, Naive's like, but burned buildings. And they're like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I I everything's cool. And we all know those people in the real world. COVID's not a thing. Nope. Nope, it's a hoax. It's not a real thing. It's not real. Because <laughs> otherwise it'd probably be too scary for them, right? I probably, like, is that getting political? I don't want to get political on this podcast. I don't think that's getting political. Is it? Huh. All, all I'm saying is we all know those people that turn away from something they don't want to accept. You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from uh, The Wizard's First Rule, a Terry Good, Good Kind series. You know, people are smart. People are stupid. <laughs> people believe a lie because they want it to be true or they're afraid it might be true. You know, it's just kind of all gets into that thing. And that's what we see here with some of the first people they talk to. While others claimed, you know, lamely, <laughs> that it was it was just an accident, you know, uh, not a big deal. A lamp turned over in the night, you know, uh, and it started a fire and it sucked, but it happened. Nope, nothing bad. Nope, just, just an accident. But <laughs> Nynaeve could see that not a single one of the burned buildings stood next to each other, which made an out-of-control fire caused by a simple mistake very, very unlikely. <laughs> According to Nynaeve, there were as many stories as there were people. Some women leaned forward conspiratorially and told Moraine that there was a man in town messing with the One Power. And no matter what the men said, it was about time to call upon Tarvala, you know. Let the Red Aja sort them out. Which, 
might actually be the case. You know, uh, I did hypothesize it in Whitebridge. Just a second. Sorry about that, folks. It was that shitty tar, you know, tar and fairy to Bach, you know, uh, keeps making me cough and I don't want to keep doing that on, you know, the recording. So I pause for a minute, you know, it's either that or maybe I should quit smoking altogether, you know, but it's definitely got to be the tar and fairy to Bach, right? It's definitely not that I need to quit. Anyways, uh, where was I? Made a mistake. Unlikely. Uh, yeah. So we thought that it could have been, uh, Rand actually calling lightning, uh, when Tom was attacked, because there was a flash of blue, and I hypothesized that it could be him, you know, calling the power, desperately trying to help his mentor. Uh, but, you know, I doubt he struck six buildings, you know, so, I mean, you know, maybe he started one, and then things got out of hand, and as we know, more than just uh, that happened, because poor Bale Doman, so we're going to get into that. So, yeah, you know, Red Aja sort them out, while yet others claimed it had been attacked by bandits. No, dark friends. You know, those people going off to see the false dragon. Or on a boat. Yes, there had been trouble with the boat, but they'd been run off, cutting, their loose, cutting loose their mooring lines as a mob pounded on the docks towards them. In particular, a potentially familiar weaselly-looking man commented that they'd sorted them out and sent them off, you know, that they should uh, leave those types of things in the borderlands where it belonged. And I have a horribly sneaking suspicion that the weaselly little man that ran off in fear as if he had said too much to Moraine just been might have been our most hated former shipmate, Gelb, but you know, we may never know. Um, so yeah, it could have been Rand lighting the fires, it could have been Rand lighting one or two of the fires, and then the mob of people that Gelb probably riled up to get out of Bail Doman and his crew. Maybe they started more fires, maybe some of Doman's crew were in this place and that place. Like, like who knows? Like, we, who knows? Really. Like, they didn't give us a huge amount of context for this. We'd like to put together the, qu the, the pieces and figure out what exactly started these fires. But it could be Rand. It could be Gelb's people. It could have been both. You know, it also could have been a, a, a lantern falling over. For all we know, Taviran went wild and Rand struck down one place and Gelb raided another and a lantern fell in another place and just the shit went crazy. We might never know and that bugs me just a bit. Just a bit. But, you know, what, what are we going to do? Um, and I find it really amusing, really amusing, that if the wisdom had arrived in Whitebridge just like a day or so earlier... She might have met Bale Doman like a full book earlier. No, not a full book because she didn't meet him. No, yes, she did. She got him to agree to take them, right? It wasn't just men. So she would have met him a full book earlier if she'd showed up a day earlier. Because as we know, uh, Bale Doman is the most important ship captain in all of the Wheel of Time. Spending most of his time with Matt and Nynaeve's party. And without him, we would never have won the last battle. I'm just saying... 
he was definitely pulled in by Tavirin Strings. That is all I'm saying. He kept showing up, and he showed up, and he showed up, and you know what? He was always doing something important, interesting, or helpful. Bill Doman is the best. That, that, that's all I'm saying right now. Anyway, moving on. We're actually almost through my notes. Apparently, these are a little bit more streamlined than when I decide to talk about, you know, tangents and stuff. <laughs> anyway, Nynaeve did met, hear mention that a Gleeman got away on the boat, which made her think of, of course, mustaches. I mean, Tom Maryland. Tom Maryland. She shared her suspicions on the matter with Moraine, who listened fairly to everything the wisdom had to say before agreeing that it was possible, but she didn't really think it was very likely. And just as we wanted to talk about what might have happened to cause all the fires, we kind of need to talk about what happened to Tom Marilyn. Because personally, there's no way for us readers to know the full truth of if the Gleeman in question was in fact Tom Marilyn. Rand and Matt currently have his Gleeman's cloak, so if he was recognized on the boat by his Gleeman's cloak, then it's not Tom. However, at the same time, he left that boat with the cloak on as he walked through town, and a lot of people might have recognized him from that. I I'm not really sure. Tom had his leg badly injured in the fight with the, le with the Fade. You know, it's what gave him his signature limp for the remainder of the series. So we can't even know if he was really well enough to travel so soon after. You know, for all we know, Tom Marilyn is currently in the house of the village healer in Whitebridge. Just just being tended to and, uh, you know, making sure he survives. Or, he did take Doman's boat. He's in a hell of a lot of pain. Doman's not going to be happy because he can't entertain. And he's on his way to find a bigger city with better healers or the like. Or even an Aes Sedai, though. It just doesn't seems super likely. I think he would have let Ni uh, Moraine heal him and maybe Nynaeve uh, if he knew she could channel. I don't know if he does. But, like, I can't see Tom Marilyn walking up to a random Aes Sedai and going, I was attacked by a Fade. Help. <laughs> like, because for all, you know, that could that could put him in some deep shit. Maybe they like Elida, you know? And Elida don't like Tom. And Elida talks to more gays. And Tom don't want more gays to know where he's at. So, like, you know, he's he's in Andor. So, let's, let, yeah, we can't know, and it's frustrating. But I'm going to stop rambling again, because we're almost an hour into the podcast. Again, for a 19-minute long Audible chapter and a nine-page book chapter. 58 seconds, 58 minutes and 53 seconds. I am ridiculous. Moving on, Moraine led the party to a familiar-looking inn with a common room divided by a shoulder-length wall. And in Chapter 26, I went on a bit of a tangent on how I wasn't sure how simple, how a simple shoulder-high wall could prevent fighting between drunken sailors. You know, if the two groups could argue over the wall and see each other 
I don't see what, 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 how that would help other than they have to put down their drinks and go around the wall or go outside to fight, which now that I think about it, probably would be better for the innkeeper and whatever. So I, I thought that maybe because Rand said it was a shoulder high wall that maybe, you know, since Rand was so damn tall, it was a head high wall to everyone else. But that theory has now been dashed as the much, much shorter Nynaeve also called it a shoulder-high wall. So I guess it's just shoulder-high to the average person, and everyone just goes, yeah, that, that, that's about shoulder-high to, you know, most people. Yeah, that's what, the, that's what that wall is. I know it's not very important, but I took the time to argue about the wall in an earlier episode. I'm going to bring it at, back up again today. <laughs> uh, otherwise, how am I going to, you know, get my rambling in, right? Moraine smiles to herself as she feels the air to the common room, and I think we all know why. Uh, before the group took their meal at one of the tables, in silence. Nobody really wanted to talk at the moment. Also, I like how apparently Bran Alvear and the Winespring Inn kind of spoiled all the Emmons fielders on what a good inn should be. Because much like Matt and Rand looking around this inn in a couple chapters ago, Nynaeve doesn't really think much of the place either. <laughs> She's kind of glad that they weren't spending the night. On one hand, because, you know, the aura of fear was still oppressive with everyone in town and it just felt suffocating and just not very fun. And two, because the place was quite dirty. Uh, you know, she noticed the innkeeper muttering to himself quietly as he dusted the, the tables with the corner of his apron, probably complaining about his feet again, because we all know how he likes to go on and on about his feet and his cornrows and his bunions, and, you know, he that's probably what he's talking about. Oh, I have to be on my feet again. Oh, I want to go soak him. And I'm, I'm rambling, but, like, what else is he talking about, guys? He went on and on and on about it just a couple chapters ago. And nobody prompted him to. Like, that's what I'm going to, going to assume the innkeeper is talking about quietly to himself, is his feet. Uh, <laughs> and uh, just as they finished their meal... Oh, I love this moment. This this was also my clip of the day, as you guys know. A young soldier entered the inn, making his rounds and looking about for trouble. And Nynaeve actually thought he looked rather grand and regal at first, you know, in his red uniform and a bit of armor here and there. And But then he put this stern look on his face and, and put a hand on his sword hilt and loosened the tight collar around his neck, which reminded the wisdom of Sen Bui trying to look as authoritative as he could as a member of the village council, you know? And, and it just made the young man's grandness vanish in her eyes. And then, the poor young man spotted Lan. Oh, oh, you poor young thing. So let me tell you a joke. A wisdom, an Aes Sedai, and a warder walk into a bar and terrorize a poor little militia man who's just trying to do his job. <laughs> I feel bad for him. I do. He tried to challenge Lan. It's not his fault. It's not Lan's fault. He had to be a badass. You know, he had to flex on the kid a bit. But seriously, this poor kid. <laughs>
So, he took a deep breath and made his way over to them, asking all in a rush, who the hell are you guys? Well, he didn't say hell. You know, why are you here? What's your business? And when do you plan to leave? And honestly, like I said, I feel a bit bad for the young militia man. Lan had glanced at him when he first entered the door and he kind of snorted and said, Militia, useless. You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, maybe compared to Borderland soldiers like you, but they're not fighting Trollocs and Fades and Aeel and anything else. They're just trying to keep the peace, you know. They probably do just fine, you know, with the normal common folk. But, you know, at the same time, there was just that mob the other day that chased out a boat of sailors and and there was a bunch of fires and so maybe they're not good at their job but I just <laughs> I feel bad for the kid you know and the young man's trying to look tough while facing down land which was just kind of sad you know he had he had a hard time meeting the warder's steely ice blue eyes and on the other hand, Lan was just, you know, he was his normal badass self. You know, he couldn't show weakness. He had to flex on the kid a bit, like I said, but... <sighs> you mean, you probably remember this scene already, because, you know, it was my clip of the day. So, yeah, he's like, when are you guys leaving? What are you doing here? And Lan's just like... <clears throat> We're leaving as soon as I finish my ale. <laughs> Lan told him before taking another slow, measured drink from his cup like he had all the time in the world. <laughs> oh my god. Next, next. So yeah, I feel bad for the kid. I ha can't help it. Like, what, what, what's he honestly going to do right here, huh? Challenge land? Uh, to be honest, it kind of seems like he almost did, you know? He glanced at Moraine and Nynaeve, you know, before stiffening at his shoulders a bit. And Nynaeve's in here going, oh god, I hope he doesn't do anything stupid trying to impress us. Uh, which, you know, sometimes a guy's gotta do. He's gotta be an idiot sometimes just to show he's got at least a little backbone. Uh, but all the kid does is be like, good, you know, be on your way, because there are way too many strangers on the road for the Queen's peace. Uh, which was, frankly, adorable. I mean, we can all imagine how quickly Lan could have taken this poor little dude out. Probably wouldn't need more than an ale cup or his pinky finger, and the kid would have been done for. You know what I mean? Like I said, I just feel bad for the kid. Uh, and then he, he marched out, with none of the other people in the inn giving a rat's ass about him being there at all. And he was trying to do his sternest expression when he leaves. And it's just like, good for you, kid. Keep trying. <laughs> the world is yours. Just don't give up. <laughs> oh, what? he challenged land, people. Come on. Like, he deserved... Like, he didn't do much, but he tried. He tried. But, if you ask me, Lan's comment, you know, on, of the light-blessed Queen Morgays did seem to me like it could have been a bit mocking, you know? I doubt it was, you know, Lan actually is rather respectful, and it was probably just Lan's dry way of speech. But still, I, I, I didn't like, it felt mocking in the context, and it, it, like, you know, he was saying it just to get the soldier off his back. 
You know, like, yep, your queen's pretty great. And I just... I don't like it when people are too hard on the High Lady of Chacon, okay? I mean, other than some really rather nasty and unfair Lord Gabriel stuff, she seemed to be a rather great queen to me, okay? For her time, she seemed to do a hell of a lot of good. But anyway, moving on, we're almost done with the chapter by now. We're over an hour and seven minutes in. We're almost an hour and eight minutes in, I think. And... <laughs> <laughs> it was a nine-page chapter and then 19 minutes on Audible. So, <laughs> we've been going for over an hour. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot that I do this sometimes. I ramble and I just discuss pointless shit. And I'm having fun, so I really hope you guys are too. All right. So, with the young militiaman gone, Nynaeve turned to the other two and asked, well, what are they going to do now? Right? Uh, perhaps go after the boat? Because, you know, the Gleeman was really their best clue. But Moraine's like, no. No. She really doubts that they were on the boat. Oh, I'm skipping ahead again. It was time to change tactics and to pursue the other boy who still had his token. Because apparently he was a bit of to the north of them at the moment. And she went on to say that she really seriously doubted the other two boys had taken the boat. And in any case, she told Nynaeve with a smile, and Lan, by the way, Nynaeve and Lan, she told them both, uh, that the boys had been in that very room not even like a day ago. Two days at most. They were afraid, but alive. And I find it really interesting. She says that the fear they were feeling made it easier for her to sense the trace she had on them. I have no idea how that's supposed to work, but I found it fascinating anyways, you know? How? Really? Really, though, how would putting a tracer on a coin that's later spent and no longer with them make it easier to follow or track them because of the heightened emotions? It's not just me, right? Like, I really wish we got a better explanation here because I find it so interesting. I really wish it. But as Perrin would say, if wing, if wishes had wings, pigs would fly. So I guess we'll move on again because we're probably never going to get the answer. The only time I know a, uh, a, a weave like this was ever used again was, I believe, uh, much, much, much later in the series when Elaine puts a weave on like this perch snatcher's uh, belt buckles and shoe buckles and whatever and says she can use that to find him at any time. But again, we don't get any on context on how it works, why it works, if she'd still be able to find them if he threw off the belt. I, we don't know and it bothers me. I at least want the mechanics on this. You know, it just, I don't know why, but I want it because it fascinates me. So, yeah, Moraine decides it's best to go after Perrin instead of Rand and Matt. Though, in truth, she doesn't actually know which of the boys she's following and which of the boys she's leaving to later. Um, and Because Nyne Nynaeve asks. She's like, which ones is it? Which, which? And Moraine's like, I don't know. I don't know. She just shakes her head like, I don't, I don't know. 
<laughs> like, how would she know, right? But apparently she can tell they were afraid, but not who it was. It, it bothers me, guys. I want to know. Um, the truth is, though, at this point, it really would be better to go after Perrin. You know, the two boys who fled Whitebridge in fear could have gone in any direction. Moraine says, like, they fled in fear. They could be 20 to 40 miles east, north, south, west. You know, in their fear, they could get hella far. And uh, it's better to go after the boy they know still has his token. You know, because at this point, she's sure that the two boys who are on the run will, at some point, remember Camelin. And when you think about it, from Whitebridge to the capital of Andor, there's roads, villages, farms. It's not wilderness where they can suddenly be ambushed by Trollocs, you know? They will be meeting up with some dark friends and another fade, but, like, you know, like, they have a better grasp of their surroundings here. It's something they're more used to. And they'll probably be, you know, much better off at this point. While Perrin is still off in the wilderness... So, yeah. Yeah, she's going to go after Perrin. She doesn't know it's Perrin, but that's the decision. And more importantly, it's really good that she's deciding to go after Perrin, because as we know, he's going to lose his coin before too long as well. You know it's going to be taken from him by the White Cloaks. I really hope you don't hear that. We got a mouse, like, yelling, screaming. I think it got caught in a trap, which is good, because mice suck. And this old house is like 90 years old and, 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 and it has mice and I hate them. I hate them so much. I'm constantly being spied on by the Dark One's eyes, people. See, it happened again. It just, I hate it so much. I put down traps every day. I think it's Balsamon. I think Balsamon's messing with me, right? Because it's better to think it's Balsamon than, than, than just our house is forever going to have mice, right? Even though I put down traps every day. And catch mice, like, almost every day. And it's gross, and I hate it. Oh, I got distracted again. But mice suck, and it's easy to get distracted by their really annoying noises. Ugh, so where am I? Uh, yeah, so we know that it's probably good that they're going after Perrin. Because Perrin's gonna lose his token pretty soon to the White Cloaks. And I think, personally... That the pattern is pushing Moraine there, you know? Can you imagine what might have happened if Moraine and Land and Nynaeve hadn't gone off after Perrin and Egwene in the upcoming uh, White Cloak camp? Seriously. If I remember right, that flaming bastard Byer, whatever, uh, I, I don't remember if he has a last name, it's just Byer and he's dumb. You know, he was trying to get them to escape, right? And so he could do that so he had an excuse to kill them as they tried to flee. And I'm not exactly sure they could have gotten out of that scenario on their own at that point in time. Egwene could barely channel. Uh, Perrin could barely wolf brother out. You know, he wasn't quite yet Young Bull, was he? Uh, no, he was. I think he, w he became Young Bull in that fight with the White Cloaks. But again, I'm talking about stuff... That hasn't even happened yet. It's going to happen in a couple chapters. So I'm just, I'm just going to move on. But like really. You know. Imagine the rest of the story. Without Perrin. And Egwene. Honestly the last battle would have been over before it begun. 
right? Without Egwene to, to unite the Aes Sedai and the, the Aiel Wise Ones and, like, you know, kick all kinds of ass in the last battle because she's an epic leader. Like, really, she is. I get frustrated with her earlier on in the series, but when you put her in a leadership role, she actually shines. You know, her problem is that she kind of just expect everyone's loyalty and, and and she has such a big ego which she hasn't quite deserved it yet you know which is why I have a harder time with her earlier on in the books but yeah yeah I mean I guess it's a really damn good thing that the pattern is providing for the Taveran huh because <laughs> no Perrin uh <laughs> who no Perrin and no Egwene things would have gotten bad <laughs> And another tangent. What would have happened in the future? The mice. The, ah, <laughs> so let's just finish this up because we are we are almost there. I only have a few notes left. Moraine decides to go after the boy who still has the token for now. But Nynaeve's just mad again because Moraine hasn't mentioned Egwene even once. She doesn't know that Egwene is with the boy with the token. It's not her fault. Nobody knows. But, like, she's just like, what about my girl? Right? She's like family to me. She's like a little sister. She's like my little protege to be a uh, wisdom. What about her? You haven't, like, all your talk about taking her to Tar Valen, But all you seem to care about are the boys. You know? However, it seems this time, uh, the Aes Sedai's temper had its limits. And Nynaeve pushed just a, just a tad bit too far. You know? Uh, Moraine's eyes flashed with anger so powerfully that Nynaeve couldn't help but lean back away from her. And Moraine coldly tells the wisdom that, of course, she cares about Egwene, that she doesn't e not easily give up on a girl with that much potential in the power. But the wheel weaves as the wheel wills, and they'll do what they must, you know? And, uh, <laughs> Nynaeve can never understand it, you know? Moraine's been on this epic quest for 20 years to find the Dragon Reborn and help him and protect him uh, and guide him towards Tarman Gaiden. So yes, Egwene is awesome. Egwene is great. Egwene has amazing potential. But one of these three boys is like ridiculously important to the pattern. And at this point of the time, Moraine does not know that Egwene and Nynaeve and all three of the boys are so damn important as well. So the boys come first. Plain and simple, and, and, and it makes sense that Nynaeve struggles to deal with that, but that's just how things are. So the chapter ends with Nynaeve feeling a cold bit in her stomach, cold pit, not bit, sorry, uh, wondering if she was one of those young women with great potential the Aes Sedai wasn't willing to give up on. You know, so <laughs> she's like, we'll see about that, Aes Sedai. We'll see about that. <laughs> I don't even know what she's fighting about there. <laughs> what is she struggling against? Oh my god. And with that, the party leaves in the inn and heads north towards Perrin and Egwene, though they have no way of knowing that. Uh, I actually feel bad for Nynaeve at the end. Learning to channel would be, like, great 
for her. But I also know she's the type who hates being pushed into anything. That That's why she's fighting against it. You know, I, I'd forgotten about this part because I, I, I wrote the chapter ends and then I had another note under that. You know, she does. She hates being pushed into anything. And the Moraine isn't really the type who asks too often. You know, she she commands and expects to be to obeyed. It's probably partly her royal birth, partly being an Aes Sedai for 20 years, you know. Uh, partly the fact that she, you know, struggles to trust. Her plans are so intricate and important and they can't be screwed up that she doesn't really want other people's opinions, you know. And it's, it, it's a bit frustrating because, I mean, if you really think about it, if Moraine and Nynaeve could ever have learned to properly work together, they would have been a ridiculously formidable team, you know? Nynaeve's the stick and Moraine's the honey and together they just get all the shit done, you know? But, uh... <laughs> We know full well that that one-sided rivalry and grud match will never end. And that's just a truly sad thing that we're all going to have to deal with. Perhaps Nynaeve and Moraine buried the hatchet after the end of the series. You know, who knows? But, well, that's, that's it for Chapter 28, Footprints in Air. I've been recording for an hour and 20 minutes, it seems. On a super short chapter. Uh, <laughs> I've been rambling. I went on tangents. Uh, <laughs> we had some fairly long introductions in the beginning. Because it had been such a long time since we'd recorded. I mean, come on guys. It, it's been a year. So I guess we're starting off in true Robert Jordan fashion. By making things a bit too long. And personally... I'm fine with that. <laughs> so, I think that's really all we have time for, guys. I edit these things as I record. So, as I said before, it was almost 9pm when I started. But now it's about 11.30, 11.27, you know? And uh, this is supposed to be out on Wednesday, but it's probably going to get out a couple minutes into Thursday. So I did fail you all. <laughs> oh man, you know, I edit while I record, that way I don't have to do it later, because I don't always have the patience to listen to my own self-ramble. Um, and not only that, it's just easier to edit as I go. If I, if I don't like what I just said, I can go back and take it out. Not to mention that I had to have a couple breaks, because... You know, that tar and fairy tabak was just making me cough, and I didn't want that in the podcast too often. And it's definitely because of the tar and fairy tabak, not because I need to quit smoking, obviously. Because tar and fairy folk are trash. Uh, Evans Field for life. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there was just... <laughs> I'm still going on. <laughs> um, Balsman's not going to be back for the end of this episode. I apologize if that disappoints anybody. But, you know, if you do want him to come back for the end of the episode, if you do want the Balsamon Q&A section to return, which is definitely what he wants, then you should absolutely send in your questions to either my Twitter, at Radio, or you can go to uh, my Reddit, at Radio. I think it says you, Radio as a personal thing. But, like, you can send me messages there and stuff, like, I think... Or you can just cut straight to the to the to the to the what? You can just you can just email me 
at gleemanradio at gmail.com. Send us those Balsamon questions because I do not want to deal with his whining. That, 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 come on. Like, the Betrayer of Hope needs so much attention. He's so high maintenance. Like, <laughs> send those things in. It was so fun to come back. I'm sorry this took so long, but I had a great time. I hope you had a great time. That's really all the time we have for today. Take care, peace out, and bye. Love you guys. So happy to be back.